This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Of the many recent changes in college athletics that we've seen over the years, there may be one that's not just transformative. It's totally revolutionary. Now, there was a big debate about whether or not college athletes should be able to profit when other people use their image. If uh, they make a video game and they put this big star college athlete in the game, should they be able to get paid? Well, now they can. Then uh, there became a big question about endorsement deals. Should they be able to do endorsement deals? My understanding is now they can. Well, now... This is a game changer. Now, keep in mind, these are athletes that generate a lot of money for the school, generate a lot of money for the television networks, generate a lot of money for the vendors involved. But they're also students. They're also students. They're there ostensibly to get an education. Well, now NCAA President Charlie Baker, who you may remember from when he was the governor of Massachusetts, He's planning to introduce this week a proposal to create a new subdivision within Division I that grants certain schools more autonomy around policymaking and permits them, are you ready for this, to compensate athletes in a new and profound way. So he sent a letter to the Division I members that uh, has been widely reported on. And Charlie Baker outlines a groundbreaking and radical change to the NCAA Division I athletics model, describing it as a new forward-looking framework. So what's the proposal? According to Baker's proposal, schools that choose to be part of the new subdivision can opt in or out or required to meet a strict minimum standard rooted in athlete investment. Members of the new subdivision will be permitted to strike name, image, and likeness deals with their own athletes. A significant move away from the current structure. But the most impactful benefit of this new model is a framework in which schools can directly compensate athletes 
through a trust fund. Schools within the new subdivision will be required to distribute to athletes thousands of dollars in additional educationally related funds without limitation. There's no cap on the amount of funds that a program can provide an athlete. And this is, they're saying, the people that follow this stuff, the single most revolutionary concept introduced by a sitting NCAA leader in college athletic history. So basically what this amounts to is paying college athletes. I realize that's an oversimplification, but that's basically what it is. So this proposal has been is a culmination of a months-long review that Baker and staff conducted and it's apparently been one of his top priorities after taking the job. He just took over. And entry into the subdivision requires a school to invest at minimum $30,000 per year per athlete into what's termed an enhanced educational trust fund for at least half of a school's countable athletes. Schools would determine when athletes receive the amount, which for four-year athletes will total at least $120,000. Schools have to continue to abide by the framework of Title IX, assuring that 50% of the investment be directed towards women athletes as well. So I think this is wild. I think this is very interesting. I'm curious what you think about it. 800-848-9222. This is, love it or hate it, a new era when it comes to college sports. We're in an era, if this passes, that college athletes are going to be paid. What do you think? Should college athletes be paid? A question. Since before your sun burned hot in space and before your race was born, I have awaited a question. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. My view is I think this is a pretty good, pretty good idea. I really do. I, I could be convinced otherwise, and I'm not trying to take the college aspect out of the college athletics process, but I I just have seen way too many or heard about way too many examples of college athletes who have an enormous amount of potential to make a lot of money in professional sports and then they get injured in college because they make the decision to complete their college career instead of turn pro when they're a sophomore or a junior and make hundreds of thousands of dollars or millions of dollars in the NBA or the NFL. It's less, it's less of a sure thing, that kind of money in baseball. I mean, it does happen, but not, not as you see it in um, basketball and football. And you see these players get hurt, and then they get to finish their college career, but they don't get to enjoy any of the wealth that they would have had they skipped out on finishing college and gone right to the pros. Now, at least they get a little something. So this is a, I think, a a nice thing. These athletes generate a ton of money for the colleges and universities. I think they should be able to share in some of that wealth. So I think it's a good idea. What do you think? 800-848-9222, 9222. Let me say hello to William in Manhattan. Hi, William. Hi, Frank. I want to comment and say, um, yes, they should be paid because my personal friend is Felipe Lopez, and uh, he was injured. He played on the Timberwolves for four years, 
and he did get a college degree, but we're in a new day and age. What really bothers me is these people in the NFL, they're looking like running around like men in tights. They don't have no weight on them like they're ballerina dancers. But that's just my opinion on uh, what you had said on the topic. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you, William. I think that's exactly the uh, the, the point here, and uh, that's exactly why I think it uh, makes a lot of sense. So, uh, I, what, now your friend made it to the pro, to the pros, and then he got injured. Yes, he played four years on the uh, Minnesota Timberwolves, Felipe Lopez. Gotcha. And, and he went to um, uh, at St. John's uh, College, same way it's, uh, at the same uh, college in Queens that I think Mark Jackson had also graduated from. So he wouldn't necessarily have been affected by this proposal, right? Because he still got to go to the pros and make money. When he was Frank, when when he was in the NBA, he had gotten injured. Gotcha. And that's why his career was cut short. After gotcha. Four understood. Years. Understood. William, thanks for the perspective. Uh, appreciate that. 800-848-9222. Hey, coming up in about fifteen minutes, we have Noam Laden. And we have uh, Brian Kilmeade. Looking forward to talking with both of them. I got a lot of items for uh, Brian Kilmeade, that's for sure. Nick is in New Jersey. Hello, Nick. Oh, hi, Don Frank. Yeah, it's an interesting uh, topic you're talking about, about uh, college athletes. I mean, yeah, college athletes getting paid for, uh, for their sports. Yeah, I think they should expand that, not just for the uh, athletes, but for all the students. Uh, you know, by grade level, say somebody getting an A in science or A in uh, accounting, uh, A, B, C, or D, depending on what grade they get, they should get uh, get paid. Well, I mean, I yeah. guess the the uh, the counter argument to that, Nick, is one that uh, a lot of those students who have incredible performances academically, a lot of them get academic based scholarships, but also the people that are getting A's in um, art history or, you know, even um, even political science or mathematics, they're not necessarily bringing in the kind of money or revenue for the university that the college athletes are. Yeah, well, I, I just thought it might, it might incentivize them to get better grades, you know, and uh, I mean, it's like somebody say a, a singer like Taylor Swift you know, you might have uh, more young ladies, you know, going into the arts, into into mu- musical things, into singing, you know, that type of thing, you know? Yeah. All right, Nick. Uh, well, putting it out there, I, I just, uh, I don't think that's likely. I don't think that's practical. This is a proposal that's, you know, on the table, and we'll we'll certainly see where it goes. 800-848-9222, 800-848-9222. You know, so it's funny, tonight, I have this... Uh, group of a couple of guys that I get together with uh, for a cigar, maybe about once a month, maybe about once every two months. Great guys. And so last time we were together, I told them about my friend Richard Stratton, who's been a guest on this show, who's just an incredible guy with an incredible life story. And they all said, oh, well, we want to meet Richard Stratton. Just so happens Richard called me uh, or texted me the other day and said, hey, you know, I'd love to get together with you for a drink or dinner before the holidays. And I said, you know, it's funny. I was just talking about you with all these guys, and they'd all love to meet you. How about we do something Thursday? Richard says, sure, we'll do it Thursday night. So then I get a message um, from someone else. I get a an invitation to Rayo's Thursday night. 
and I have to decline the Rayo's invite because I had arranged this Richard Stratton cigar meeting. Then, and you know, when you get an opportunity to go to Rayo's, generally the rule of thumb is you always just go. Whatever opportunity you have, you just go. So I um, turned down the Rayo's invite. I'm sure my seat was given away to another deserving gentleman or lady. And then I just got word a few hours ago that, unfortunately, one of the guys that we were going to uh, do this with, his mother had an accident or something. She she took a fall, and uh, my friend's busy with that. And my other friend that was part of our little group, he's not able to make it. So they're asking if we can postpone until next week. And I'm sure that won't be a problem for Richard. Well, I hope it's not anyway. We'll ask him. But now I already passed on this Rayo's invite. So I don't know. I feel kind of silly going back to the person that asked me and said, hey, by the way, uh, I know, you know, you probably asked someone else right after you invited me and I declined, but uh, is there any way I could still go? Uh, I kind of feel silly doing that now. I'll probably just let sleeping lemon chicken lie and, uh, you know, move on. All right, 800-848-9222, open lines if you want to comment. Noam Layden is here. Brian Kilmeade is here. Um, we're on Twitter. I still call it Twitter, even though I know it's formally X. At Frank Morano, that's Frank M O R A N O, and um, oh, oh, you know one of the other things that I wanted to talk about tomorrow, we're going to do a big thing for Frank Sinatra's birthday. Frank Sinatra's birthday is uh, December twelfth, but we're we I think Elliot Gordon actually might be here. He's got some very good Frank Sinatra stories that we're going to go through and uh, some Sinatra tunes that you have not heard before that I, we're going to play on uh, tomorrow's program as well. There's also been this bizarre feud between Cars for Kids and Cars for Kids. What do I mean by that? Well, one group is Cars for Kids with a K, and one group is Cars for Kids with a C. I was trying to understand... Uh, this this dispute they have apparently there is in litigation now. I'm not even sure which one is the one with the jingle. I love that jingle. You, it's on probably every radio station in America. But there's all sorts of controversy. So my understanding is the heads of one of this group, one of these groups, is going to be on tomorrow. I'm not sure if it's Cars for Kids or Cars for Kids, but one of them will be here tomorrow. And we'll uh, we'll see we'll see if we can enlighten you as to what exactly the nature of the feud and the litigation is between uh, cars for kids and cars for kids. Joe is in Freehold. Hi, Joe. Good morning, Frank. Great show. Thanks. Um, I heard you talking about uh, student athletes being compensated, and in a way, they're already being compensated through a form of free education, free housing, free food, free tutoring. Whatever it is that their needs are, the school pays for it already, which is probably an average of 100 to $125,000 per student on that team. So that's pretty good pay. Well, it certainly is. Uh, but um, And that's always been the argument as to why it's not a big deal that they're not getting paid, is that they're getting an incredible value for their athleticism. Um, I, I hear you. I still think, though, the current model as it is now it doesn't incentivize them at all, really, to stay in school and f- complete their education because they are all aware that if they get hurt, they're losing out in 
some cases, on millions of dollars. Yeah, but when you have no skin in the game, you lose incentive, too. So why bother getting an education like you say? Why not the schools take out insurance policies on them if they get hurt and let someone else pay their freight? Yeah, so it sounds like you're not for this idea of uh, of putting this— I just this... think they're already being compensated. That's yeah, well, they certainly are. You're, you're absolutely right about that. You're absolutely right about that, uh, Joe. Thank you. Hey, uh, Noam Layden is here. We're going to uh, chat with him and then uh, talk with Brian Kilmeade shortly. Eddie is in Babylon. Hi, Eddie. Oh, oh great, Frank. Uh, Frank— in masonry and Freemasonry, they have something called a cable toe. And uh, you can't go to a meeting, you can't go to an event. You say, well, my cable toe prevented me. Cable toe being, you know, family obligations first or work. Um, I look at uh, your invitation to Rayos and maybe something kept you. Are these people that you were going to go to a party with more like family? You might be able to tell the Rayos my 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 ties to family and other obligations um, opened up, and I'd really be grateful to be invited to your party and attend. Yeah, I don't know, Eddie. I think uh, I think once you kind of pass on the invite, it's done. You they, you got to kind of let it happen as is. I mean, if my friend reaches out to me and says, hey, by the way, I still don't have anybody to go to Rails with tonight, then I would say, yeah, my plans change. I could go with you. But no, I, I think, you know. Well, I, that's cool. Yeah. Eddie, thank you. All right. Noam Layden and Brian Kilmeade, join me straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Handling legal matters is stressful. So let the law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. provide you with the insightful counsel you deserve. The law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. has successfully handled thousands of cases for 25 plus years. They focus on elder law and estate planning, but are equipped to navigate you through all stages of family law and divorce to real estate law and probate. The law offices of Frank Bruno. Call 718-418-5000 or visit them at frankbrunolaw.com. That's frankbrunolaw.com. Frank Bruno. He's your numero uno. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. Diver was a freedom rider. She didn't care if the whole world and then there's Maude, uh, the great Norman Lear. I think one of the real keys to his success is that he had shows that all had Great theme songs. I mean, really great. And, you know, just as an aside, if you ever watch the Family Guy sketch, you can find it on the YouTube. You know, I'll share it on my Facebook page, but if you ever watch the Family Guy sketch where they satirize the Maud theme song, it's it's ter- it's terrific. Where they go into the really, really long opening sequence. It, it's very funny. I just shared it on my Facebook page if you want to check it out. Uh, 800-848-9222. We'll get to your calls momentarily. We'll get to Brian Kilmeade momentarily. But first. Stand by for the other side of Midnight's News. From New York City, the other 
side of midnight. And its affiliated stations present national and international news with Frank Morano and news director Noam Layden. Their summary of the world news and personal comments. Get the rest of the story. Hello, Noam. Good morning, Frank. I'm going to start with what is really a very troubling report from the American Psychological Association. They released this annual report where they talked to psychologists about the state of mental health in America. And what they're reporting in this latest uh, report is over 56% of these psychologists say they had no openings for new patients. Among those who keep wait lists, average wait times now were three months or longer. Nearly 40% say their wait lists had actually grown substantially Mm -hmm. over the last year. Uh, The survey also found that the people who are coming to them are coming for very specific uh, kinds of mental health issues, especially anxiety disorders, uh, depression, trauma, uh, stress-related disorders like post-traumatic stress disorder, sleep disturbances. Over half of the psychologists who weighed in on this survey say the length of time patients needed treatment over the last year has increased as well. So it tells you a little peek of what the mental health state is of Americans today, and it's not good. Sounds awful. It does. And the, a lot of that they point to is the shutdown. It's still all that happened post-pandemic of people being stuck in their homes. They say they're still seeing a lot of that. Um, and uh, they have a substantial amount of kids who are coming for help as parents push their kids to get help, but they don't have enough uh, psychologists therapists out there to handle all the cases that are coming to them. Uh, So, I mean, I really don't know what to say in response to that other than how terrible that is. I mean, I I mean, this, I would think would be a a top priority for policymakers at at all levels, because if you look at all the other alarming trends that we're seeing, uh, drug overdose deaths, which are over 100,000 a year, the uh, suicides, which is, um, you know, uh, now setting a new record in the year, the, the last year, the numbers are available. These are all tied to the same thing. Mental health. And and for so many decades, we were Americans were accused of not taking mental health seriously. Now we have substantial evidence that Americans are taking mental health seriously, but there's not enough people to help those who need help. Yeah. So it's frightening numbers. Absolutely. Uh, here in New York. You know, sometimes you try to help people out and you kind of do the opposite. And this might be the case here. The app workers, the guys who deliver food here in New York City. Uh, Uber Eats, um, uh, 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 DoorDash, Seamless, seamless. right? In New York City, food delivery has always been a big thing. It is not a pandemic thing. It's been that way for years. But now they're all app-based delivery systems. And you never had a guaranteed payday with that. It's what you did with your tips. That's how you made your money. Well, New York City said, no, you can't do that. And they forced upon uh, app drivers in the state a minimum wage. Well, the app delivery services fought hard to try and stop this. But as of yesterday, uh, app workers have to make seventeen ninety six per hour uh, but when they're working for these apps. So they have a minimum salary, 17 an hour, which I think works about to about $35,000 a year. So they were celebrating this big victory yesterday. And by uh, April of next year, it'll move to 20 bucks an hour that they're guaranteed. Wow. But here's the rub. The app delivery services say these workers were actually making around 29 bucks an hour on average. 
with their tips. And now DoorDash and some of these other app services are so angry that this hourly salary has been forced upon them that they've made some big changes that are going to end up really hurting these workers. So now normally if you're not somebody who uses these app services, part of what you do is you order your food, but you have to put your tip in beforehand, right? right? Uh, You tip the driver before they get there. Now, um, it is not in that opening page. Uh, You do your food delivery, it gets to you, and then afterwards, it says, hey, if you want to, you can give this guy a tip. So it's not... Before, people would always give tips, right? right. I mean, yeah, who's thinking about it as they're chowing down on their pizza pie or, yeah. or sushi? Right? But once the food is delivered... Yeah. Uh, Yesterday's news. Yeah, so now you're going to lose on that post tip. Also, the uh, the apps are so angry. What they've done now, too, is uh, two of them anyway. The way they used to work is the highest rated workers were get the highest paying tipped jobs. So you, if you finished one job and you had five stars, uh, you'd get pointed to somebody who normally was a high tipper. All that is gone as of today. Wow. Oh, yeah. my. So. Well, again, uh, maybe if they keep helping these people, they might not be able to afford to stay uh, as app-based delivery people. Yeah. Uh, one more for you? Yeah, please. Uh, a local election in Washington state could have come down to a coin toss. Uh, Ryan Roth was facing off against Damian Green for a city council seat in Rainier, Washington. Uh, at the end of the election, it was tied. Then they recounted the vote. It was still tied. Then they recounted the vote a third time. It was still tied. And they have this mandatory system. It has to be recounted right. a certain amount of times. 2,900 people live in this town. It's not a big town. Didn't take a long time to recount it. Uh, so what in Washington in this town they have is if it ends in a tie, they do a coin toss. And whoever heads or tails, you win. But when they counted it a third or fourth time, they actually found out that um, Damien Ryan Roth had won by one vote. So they said, "Okay, you you know, you won. And uh, Damien Green then had to come forward. He was the loser and admit that he forgot to do one thing on Election Day. Don't tell me he didn't vote. He did not go. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. That. as of yesterday, he has he he was the city council member. He's no longer because he decided on that day to not go and vote. And he How said, could "Yeah, he that not was have voted." <laughs> and I'm sure Washington, like most states now, has you know at least some early voting. Of course, so if you can't make it on election day, this I mean I don't know how many days they have in Washington, but New York, you had nine days of early voting. Yeah, uh, in Washington, I'm sure it's a whole lot more than that. Oh my goodness! Well, I'm glad that guy lost. I don't know anything about his policies or his <laughs> politics. Good riddance. Yeah, exactly. Can't be bothered to vote. You're out. All right, thank you, mm-hmm. Noam. And now you know the rest of the story. All right. uh, Now let me welcome a man who is once again a New York Times bestselling author, this time for his terrific book, Teddy and Booker T. Also happens to be uh, the co-host of Fox and Friends and uh, one of the most listened to nationally syndicated radio talk show hosts in the country, Brian Kilmeade. Hey there, Brian. Frank, how you how you doing? What's going on? Uh, what's not going on? Uh, you remember there was a time when there was slow news days before Christmas. When what happened to those days? Yeah, I mean this aid package that's being debated now. Uh, I I like the Republicans are using the leverage to get the border. I do think, unlike a lot of people, the Ukraine is absolutely worth our money. I know it's not a perfect democracy, but they have taken out half of the Russian army. Prior to this battle, just for their sovereignty, not on aggression, just to push them back. And I know this is stalemate now, but all these guys want is just just give them the weaponry to fight 
And I thought Mark Thiessen wrote a great column just talking about how this is actually allowing us to modernize our weaponry. We are actually building, having U.S. companies use this money to build more weapons, which helps our economy. And eventually all these Baltic nations will be writing checks. And Taiwan wants to pay for everything. They said they don't want anything free. You yeah. know, Israel, they, they need some emergency funding, but they're, they're going to pay for this stuff. But, I mean, first of all, um, I, I, it is interesting to me how the the changing f- uh, goal in Ukraine and the reason behind the Ukraine funding has morphed over the last two years. Initially, it was to uh, to free Ukraine. Then it was to beat Russia. Now, uh, the Biden administration and their letter to these Republicans in, in Congress that are sort of on the fence, they're basically saying, well, this is good for your district. This is good for red states. This is good for the... American economy. But isn't the obvious compromise here, Brian, to do what you started to say at the beginning of the conversation, have kind of a grand bargain, have funding for Ukraine and Israel as long as there's funding for the border? I mean, to me, it's as, as easy as pie. Yes. And that's why as much as I'm I'm for everything you just said, the border is such a mess. I don't know. You've been watching our live coverage. Nobody does it better than Bill Malusian and, and Griff Jenkins at the border. We're live streaming this stuff in the morning, and these cartels are mocking us. They're, they're cutting out holes in the fence, and they're letting these people stream through, and they're mocking Joe Biden. They're saying, thank goodness for Joe Biden. I'm from Morocco. Thank goodness for Joe Biden. Um, uh, I'm from Romania. Um, what are you talking about? What, that's not way, there's no way to run a country. I mean, do you see these numbers? Do you see how many people have come here illegally? How can you say that this doesn't matter? So also critics of Ukraine, they look at, you know, say, uh, well, it's not a perfect democracy. They, they say they don't like Zelensky. I have no idea why his height matters, but evidently his height matters to some people. Well, I'm so sure. they say so this little guy and they're mocking yeah. him. Uh, I don't get it. So having said that, you, you have to not just build soft side of facilities. I just don't want more judges. They have to have enforcement. They have to change the deportation. You come here illegally, you go right back immediately. Dave Cameron was on with Brett Baer last night. They're sending anyone who comes by boat to Rwanda. And, and, and Brett said, what do you mean Rwanda? He goes, yeah, we have to tell everyone. We just got to send a message. If you come here, you're going to Rwanda. I don't care where you're from. I mean, that's pretty extreme from an ally that we usually agree with. Why can't we just tell people to go back to their own country? Yeah, I mean, I can't argue with that one uh, one bit. Uh, this was one of the issues. Well, both of these, uh, the border issue and uh, and the foreign aid on Ukraine and Israel came up in this uh, debate yesterday. Did you watch any of this, Brian? I mean, I think most yeah. people expect this to be the least watched of the of the four debates in the primary season. What were your takeaways? My my takeaway was. Uh, number one, obviously, they're going after Nikki Haley. They're going after her uh, days on the on the Boeing board, which she said she resigned from as soon as they look for a federal bailout. I have no problem with people leaving unless there's rules. If you leave the governorship, if you leave as U.N. ambassador, you probably made about $200,000. You got three kids. You got a dad, uh, excuse me, a husband in the military. If Boeing says, hey, we want your experience and international connections, I have no problem with it. If you want to ban people from be, from going to a major corporation for a year until after they leave the office, all right, go vote on it. You know, see what happens. I worry about sometimes people... Uh, changing policy to get a job after, if that's your thing. But she did nothing wrong. So that was a point of contention. They also said that she was very nice to a Chinese company that came to South Carolina. I get it. For a while, 
we did not have much of a problem with China buying different businesses, uh, buying different tracts of land. Sobered up. So I wish he would say that. I wish he would just say, listen, I I did not see the, the problem with China the way I see it now. I'd be fine with that when she was governor of South Carolina. But I also thought that Chris Christie took Vivek apart. I thought Vivek Ramaswamy's foreign policy is absolutely terrible. But he allows a foil for people to to go off on. But the personal attacks on Nikki Haley, Chris Christie fighting back, I think, showed his posture that he thinks Nikki Haley's going to emerge over DeSantis. And I think he wants to be tight with her. So I don't know if you saw that moment when he just basically stuck up with her because Vivek was going after her personally. I thought Don DeSantis was really strong, too. So I thought it was a very good debate. Uh, you know, they are. this is the last one before Iowa. But the f- most fascinating thing, Frank, was when asked to go after Trump. They said, you know, he's not the same guy, but they never said he was incompetent. Chris Christie says he is incompetent. He's going to be right, and a dictator. I, I agree with right. you, Ewan. He's not going to be a dictator. I mean, that's not, that's not a worry. To leave after four years is not a worry. If you don't like his style or that he, you feel as though these court cases will keep him from the campaign trail, I think that's legitimate. Yeah, I just um, I just kind of wonder what the point of all these debates is without Trump, who is even under four indictments, the prohibitive favorite to be the nominee. Even if he's convicted, even if he's in a jail cell, he's going to be the nominee and he's not participating. So it's it's just uh, to me, it looks like uh, a JV JV squad. They don't have a choice, though. I mean, if you're them, you can't make Trump show up. Right. You're kind of shocked that he's up by 30. So I don't think many people thought when this started, when Governor DeSantis did so well and a lot of the candidates that Donald Trump supported did so poorly, that this would be the case. And I think there's a strong case that all these court cases just made the American people go, this is ridiculous. You know, he wasn't perfect, but this is overdone. You waited two years to do it. You you timed it perfect. We're not stupid. We know exactly. You're not going for justice. You're going to destroy this guy. And did you see Bill Burr? I'm sure you didn't, Frank. You're working. But they just gave, sent me cuts of Bill Burr last night with Jimmy Kimmel. And he basically is not a fan of Donald Trump. But he says, you liberal idiots have totally, you've reignited him. You have made him a martyr. He is now more popular than ever. We were done with him. And now he is back. And Jimmy Kimmel just had nothing to say. Right. Well, he what knows can you say to He that? was the Pied Piper of this. Right. That's true. It's, it's absolutely true. Hey, speaking of uh, President Trump, President Biden is uh, getting a lot of attention for some uh, comments that he made at a, at a fundraiser in private where basically he said that if Trump weren't running, he doesn't know that he would be running again. Couldn't believe and, it. And yeah. then he was uh, asked about this again. They do the thing where they shout questions to, to him as he's entering an airplane or exiting an airplane, and he said, no, 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 at this point he's definitely running no matter who the nominee is. I thought this was a very honest response by Biden, the initial one. What what did you think? Maybe honest, but I mean, how many more years of experience does he need before he starts getting wise about what's going to help him and what's not going to help him? Number two is he also said yesterday that he doesn't think he is the only one to beat that the only Democrat that can beat Donald Trump. And does anybody think that he's a strong candidate? Absolutely nobody. But he won't step aside. And then he says, I'm the only one to beat Trump. And most Democrats think that they could beat Trump. 
You know, you're going to tell me Gavin Newsom and Pritzker and uh, Jared Polis and Kamala Harris don't think they can beat Trump? They all do. And they must be saying to themselves, how long are we going to keep quiet? Ted Kennedy didn't keep quiet. He thought Jimmy Carter was weak. He stepped up. You know, Pat Buchanan did not think Bush 41 was a strong president. He stepped up, you know, and he created some havoc uh, in, you know, for his election and his original nomination. I just don't understand why these Democrats are so timid. I mean, except for this congressman from uh, Minnesota. I, I mean, I just don't understand why they're standing on the sideline. You know, you, you saw that he the other day he couldn't leave the stage again. Mm-hmm. And then yesterday, uh, I don't know, Frank, I don't know if this is getting enough attention. At the end of his remarks asking for an aid package, he was asked about your emails. He didn't say, you know, your pseudoname using this name Peters shows that you were directly interacting with business partners of Hunter Biden, your son. He said all lies. It's not a lie. Now there's thousands more emails handed over yesterday. We haven't even seen them yet. We're about to see them. These are direct contacts with Eric Sherwin and other people using a pseudo email, pseudo email when he was vice president and he was in private practice. He is lying again and getting away with it. I mean, he looked in the camera and said, Fit 51 Intel agent said, this is not my son's laptop. This is Russian disinformation. When he knows those were his emails and his voicemail to his son on that laptop. He lied on that debate and it got him through it. He is lying again. I'm not for impeachment. I'm for the investigation. Impeachment's a waste of time. I'm for the investigation. They are proving this guy is corrupt and all his answer is all lies. So look for that to develop today. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be uh, eager to see where where that goes. Hey, speaking of the presidential race, uh, someone, the latest person who has now said they're open to running as a third-party candidate, specifically for the reason of stopping Donald Trump, is is Liz Cheney. Now, I'm, I've been very eager to ask you about this because I think Liz Cheney's view of foreign policy, very, very hawkish and a lot of different issues, it's much closer to your view than it is mine. How do you view this Liz Cheney threat? Is this just a ploy to sell a book? Or do you think there's actually something to this? She's clueless. She couldn't get elected in the most Republican state in the country at a seat where she's got the most famous last name. I'm a big fan of her dad. I I got along with her great when she was here. She got along with Donald Trump on 97, maybe, okay, let's say 90% of everything he did. She was was on board with it. She was going to be speaker. No question. After Kevin McCarthy was done, she would have been a wise choice, not with this ouster, but uh, she would have been a wise choice. And but January 6th was her uh, was her uh, no go zone. All right. Fine. But what she's done since, I think, is ridiculous. I mean, she actually thinks that Rachel Maddow likes her. She actually thinks all these Democrats interviewing her like her. The view like her. They only tolerate her like they do Michael Cohen because it's anti-Trump. They disagree, and she disagrees with them. She's tough as nails, but she has no base. She's got no popularity. She's not respected on the left, and now she's not respected on the right. There is no lane to be anti-conservative and anti-Trump and do your first interview with Rachel Maddow. I don't care how many books you sell. So she could run. She'll get let. She'll Jill Stein will out. I, I completely her. agree with you. Again, if she's the Republican on this no labels bipartisan ticket, I, I don't think she wins over 
I think she wins over almost nobody. Her. Nobody. Yeah, you're exactly right. Hey, um, when you were on the program last week, I asked your prediction on whether Kevin McCarthy would run for re-election or not. And I guess this is why we don't have you do football picks. You said that you thought he would absolutely run for re-election. He's now saying that not only is he not going to run for re-election, he's leaving Congress by the end of the year. Um, where do you think this leaves Kevin McCarthy? Where do you think this leaves the House Republicans? They're now going to have only a two-seat majority once he resigns. Well, I mean, I think he's going to finish out his term, right? No, he's, he's leaving uh, before the end of the year. Well, that's interesting. I thought he was finishing out his term when it originally crossed yesterday. Um, I find that I find that uh, I think he, this is a delay of game. If a Republican wins, he joins that cabinet as chief of staff, whether it's Trump or uh, or Nikki Haley. If you want someone to negotiate Congress and get something through and tell a president what is possible and what is not, it's him. Also, I think he'd be a great deputy, if not the secretary of state. Chief of Staff, National Security Advisor, his knowledge of international relations is off the charts. His connections and respect abroad really took me by surprise. But in talking to him off camera, I mean, that's where he really that's what he really loves, believe it or not. He loves the Middle East. He loves talking to Europe. He loves the challenge of China and his knowledge and courage and energy is. His kids are older now. He'll have uh, full time to get it there. No, none of it. You know, he didn't have family tearing at him like uh, Tom Cotton did, which is the main reason he didn't run. Or Governor DeSantis would have a real tough decision. You know, if he was had to run around the world as Secretary of State, he does not have that issue. So, if a Republican wins, look for him to be there. And you are telling me something I didn't know. I didn't know he was not going to fill out his term. That is unbelievable. But it's but it's a very Republican district, so I think the seat is somewhat safe, unlike the seat right by me with Tom Swazi running for. That's going to be a tough haul. Uh, yeah, that is uh, that is for sure. Uh, Brian, before I let you go, I want to encourage everybody to listen to you on radio and uh, on uh, see, watch you on television. And if people haven't checked out uh, Teddy and Booker T, they absolutely should. You are a uh, lover of history, and the books that you've written have sort of gone in chronological order from the birth of the Republic to the dawn of the 20th century, which is what you're up to now. If you continue at this pace, pretty soon you're going to be at Pearl Harbor and World War II. Uh, today is obviously the day that did live in infamy, December 7th. Give me your take on uh, Pearl Harbor and the parallels to other events that you might have covered, including September 11th, including October 7th. What a great question. I mean, it was just we had almost the military was not I mean, it wasn't as bad as World War One, but World War Two, we were not ready to fight a war. We converted everything, went to the war footing. Uh, women went and took men's jobs. Everybody immediately went to a draft. Uh, tens of thousands would die almost immediately. We take on all-out war on two fronts. Uh, can you imagine this? Uh, uh, being fighting in the Pacific and fighting in Europe and thousands dying and, and knowing that the, every house next to you, to your right and left on Christmas, as Christmas comes up, knowing that... Somebody was serving overseas and hard to even keep pace on who survived and who's wounded. I couldn't imagine that moment, but it was galvanized the whole country in one direction. And what happened afterwards brought us to this moment. But I just wonder if this administration after uh, December 7th would be uh, wondering if we could talk our way through it or thinking twice about what we do next. 
I mean, we we have a lack of decisiveness the way we're looking at uh, victims, and we are wide open as targets right now in the Middle East. What happened in Afghanistan? Uh, the equivocating on Ukraine of if it's not uh, the invasion of Czechoslovakia and not uh, you know giving up uh, the invasion of Poland. That's that's what this is. You have before our eyes Iran, China, Russia, North Korea every day reinforcing their bond and they're saying guys we just put on the same jersey they just roll the ball out at stake is the future of the world let me know if you want to play and we could still stop it but we're still sitting on the sidelines if we didn't learn anything from december 7th and i think about christopher ray this week testifying saying alarm bells are going and sirens are going off everywhere almost like uh the day before 9-11 9-10 so the FBI is saying, don't play me if something happened. I told you so. We're seeing the our, our guys on the march saying, we told you we're combining. We actually had meetings. And the meetings that Hamas had with Russia and the way Russia is benefiting from the world looking at Israel, no longer looking at Ukraine, it is playing out perfectly to our enemies. I just wish we'd wise up and start getting involved strategically and not just reacting politically. Brian, we're going to have to end it there. I very much appreciate the uh, the time this morning. I look forward to chatting with you next week. Thank you. All right. Go get him, Frank. All right. Brian Kilmeade. We'll do 15 seconds of fame in a moment. 800-848-9222. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Side at Midnight with Frank Morano. by Stevie G and the Magazine Subscriptions, an instant classic. This is the throwback version of this song. There is a new version that's uh, tearing up the charts, which we're very proud of. It's actually on the YouTube, but uh, you can uh, you can check it out. Hey, Matt Blaze, we didn't play that uh, song that, um, that Al from New York had commissioned for us. Maybe tomorrow we can uh, play that. We'll work on it. Yeah, we'll work that in. Okay. We can work that one in. Yeah, we had all the Mike from New Jersey uh, selections for today. All right. Uh, We're going to give you an opportunity to be heard for 15 seconds. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. As part of... The Other Side of Midnight. This is 15 Seconds of Fame. Let's begin with our listener of the week, Mike in New Jersey. 
morning, Frank. Imagine if Chris Christie and Liz Cheney conceived a child. When their newborn was presented to them in swaddling clothes, they pulled back the blanket to reveal a nine-pound baby Trump. Adoption was the only option. Mm, Rocco. Hey, meathead, this is Carol O'Connor. I love to meet your sister's teeth mouth-to-mouth and compare teeth. Matt has my number. Sid rules. Sid rules. Charlie. Where are the feminists? Where Where's the Me Too movement? They're mysteriously silent about Israeli Jewish women, children, victims of terror. Are those are these victims less valuable, less worthy than other victims? I certainly hope. Neil. Nobody told Roosevelt to hold back after we were attacked by the Japanese on December 7th. And nobody should tell Netanyahu to hold back. Either. Mike. Okay, Frank, sorry you're missing out on your dinner at Rayo's, but my culinary expertise will be satisfied by Chef Cristobal at Dino and Son, Woodside. Raji. In view of the U.S. Navy's preoccupation with the Middle East uh, and nonstop arms and cash to Ukraine, the U.S. will run out of ammunition in two weeks if China invades Taiwan. Ha, 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 ha. Leanne. Leanne. Hello? Go ahead, Leanne. Uh, All right, right. Cheech. E-bikes should be banned. So far in 2023, 18 New Yorkers burned to death because the New York City Council permitted the use of them. The blood is on their hands. Jay. How you doing, man? Go ahead, man. You got 15 seconds. All right, yo, 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 Frank, man. Yo, man, you the dopest, man. Yo, I love you and um the other dude. The other dude who be on the weekends with the other dude, man, on the ran for mayor. I'm flattered to be in mayor. such great great in such a great company. Robert. Liz Cheney is a turncoat trader and sellout who should choke on her own drunken vomit. Oh, please. That's don't be ridiculous. Uh George. This is a moron, this is a moron, this is a moron. Don. Frank, let me tell you, you're doing a great job. And I tell you this, I tell you this. When, when I'm back, we're going to make Staten Island. We're changing the capital. I did it in Israel. I'll do it in the United States. Staten Island will be the capital of the USA. <laughs> Mr. President, from your mouth to God's ears, I think Staten Island would be a great capital. Frank Morano, good day. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.